Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's super special episode. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. What's happening? I don't know what's happening. Did you read the title of today's episode? Yes. Today on the show, we have none other than legend Joseph Gordon-Levitt on the show. Why is he on the show? Because we are doing a collaboration with his company, Hit Record. Hit Record is a place where creative people can come together from all industries and persuasions and get collaborative. You know that I am constantly telling you guys you've got to get collaborative if you want to reach your creative career goals. Collaboration has been the bedrock of my creative career uh, breakthroughs and they can be for you too. Back 10 years ago, it was so much easier to do collaborations online. It was a much more collaborative space, but people got scared, things got weird, and uh, it's really hard to find ways of collaborating online these days. And that's where Hit Record comes in. Hit Record has made it their job to create a safe space that puts artists first, that allows them to come together and make incredible stuff as a community. I've watched Hit Record go from the early days when it was just a community to becoming a production company that that won Emmys making a TV show, and now it's an app. And you can go on there and start your own projects and get uh, calls for collaborators, and that's what we're doing on this episode. So we're coming into our fifth year as a podcast and we're getting dangerously close to 5 million total listens. And to celebrate, I thought we could collaborate with Hit Record and create a collaborative episode of the podcast to celebrate everything that this show is about. So you, me, Joseph Gordon-Levitt are going to make an episode together. How? Go to hitrecord.org slash creative pep talk and you can participate in the many challenges that we have put up there. Stay tuned for the end of this episode and I'll give you even more details about how you can be a part of this celebratory episode. There are recording prompts where you record advice for yourself five years ago or advice you think your future self would give you. You can re-record the intro of this show. We're gonna splice them all up for a special uh, audience introduced version of the show. There's illustration prompts, illustrate an aha moment as it looks like and it's exploding in your head. There's written prompts. You can just write the advice and someone else can read it or I will read it on the show. And there are even music prompts where you can remix the music from this show. And we're gonna have some, uh, some incredible versions of that too that we're gonna be putting in there. Go check it out, hitrecord.org slash creative pep talk. I'm so pumped about this episode. It's going to launch in about four weeks, but go check it out because we're going to do it in stages. The first stage is dropping today. All right, we're going to get to the interview, but just one last thing. If you've listened to this podcast more than probably you know half an episode, you know that I am a freaking super fan of Fraggle Rock. It's probably my biggest creative inspiration And I don't know if you know this, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt is slated to produce and star 
in the Fraggle Rock movie. And I didn't ask him on record, but I may have asked him off record if he could give me any any inside scoop to the movie. He couldn't say much, but it was a thrill to, to ask him. And it was a thrill to have this man on the show. I am a super fan of his work all the way back to his early indie films in like 2005 to his stuff with Christopher Nolan and Ryan Johnson. Uh, You are going to have a blast. Here he is, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So, are we good? Good to roll? Uh, The first thing I wanted to say was I'm a huge fan, and I feel like... Oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel like I am... Uh, I was very nervous of doing like the Chris Farley show thing. Like, <laughs> remember yeah. when? You remember when you uh, made Abbey Road? Christopher Lloyd was an angel, <laughs> yeah. and you were the only one. You remember? You could. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so if I go, in, if I start going there, just be like, <clears throat> no Chris, Chris Farley, Farley show. Farley. Uh, okay. Yeah, give me some. We got to have some kind of signaling. <laughs> okay. Uh, if I start doing that, I'm very flattered. That's yeah. a, that was a flattering preamble. Okay. <laughs> But I am, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, I happened to get Manic when it was oh, wow. sold at Blockbuster, like right right after. That's not one I hear about that much. That's that's one of my favorite experiences, honestly, and uh, one of my favorite things I've, I've been a part of. It's hard to say the word favorite, right? Sure. But, uh, but it's, it really left an indelible impression on me, that particular project so thanks for bringing that one up that's a little known movie i yeah i was obsessed with it i actually ended up doing a little detour early in my uh early in my illustration career where basically like a year out of school i wasn't getting any jobs Mm -hmm. and i'd quit my job and i was in a really tough place and the only job i could get my friend helped me get a job at the uh, youth shelter slash detention center oh wow i would say it was very accurate yeah yeah this uh vibe in that in that film Really yeah, well, powerful. the um, the writers Blaine and Mike and the director Jordan really did a lot of research into. So this is for those listening who haven't heard of Manic um, or seen it. It's a movie that all takes place in a in a psychological lockdown facility, a yeah. juvenile psychological lockdown facility. And um, yeah, I, I played a character who couldn't control his anger and almost kills someone with a bat, uh, and ends up in uh, in this place and. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a similar setting to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in a yeah, way. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, but uh, that that was that was you know after having done comedy on TV for many many years, all I really wanted to do was something really serious and intense, and um, and uh, no one really thought of me that way, which yeah. is understandable. Yeah. And I, uh, I have to hand it to Jordan who directed that movie for, you know, he, he really put me through it. He, he, he had me audition many times. Really? Uh, because I think everyone was like, wait, what the, you're going to cast that kid from <laughs> third rock from the sun to play the dude in the psychological lockdown facility who almost killed someone with a bat and it can't control his rage. That's a big, leap. that's who you're going to yeah. pick. Um, and he took that leap and I, I really, really thank him for it. And and in many ways that, that movie is, if, if I had to pick a, like a, I don't know, a turning point in, Mm. in, in the, I feel pretentious talking about my career, but like, uh, but it, it, it kind of is that actually, cause that's the movie that then, uh, Greg Araki saw who put me in Mysterious Skin, who directed Mysterious Skin. That's the movie that Ryan Johnson saw who uh, directed Brick. And and those two movies, when they played at Sundance, uh, were kind of what allowed me to then start be being considered for uh, roles that were dramatic, that mm-hmm. weren't Third Rock from the Sun and 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it's also, Manic is where I met Zoe Deschanel, First uh, yeah. collaboration with her. Yeah. 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 And uh, um, I, if I dare say, I think uh, our makeout scene in Manic is um, one for the ages right. and one of the hottest makeout <laughs> scenes in movie history. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on that because that might be weird. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle is yeah. fantastic in it. 
Uh, Amazing. Mike Bacall, who who co-wrote that movie and, and, and also stars in it, is a lifelong friend, as well as Eldon. I mean, Cody, it's, everyone was so, so great in that. I, I love that movie. Yeah. And, um, I was obsessed with it. I, I'm so I, happy you know it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for and giving I've, me the opportunity I to talk into about it. Brick after that, super into that, and I kind of watched... Uh, hit record, start, and everything else. So I'm a I'm a legitimate fan. <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, Thank that's you. That's why I have the possibility of going to Chris Farley. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go back a little bit to. I feel like for a lot of people, their journey as Hollywood is like this extraordinary place. Like that's the place they leave home to go there. Yeah. And so for you, it was almost like the opposite. Where this, where Hollywood was ordinary world, and your hero's <laughs> journey, and you yeah. had to leave it to uh to find something different but what was it like growing up in hollywood we don't have to spend ages there but just paint that picture a little bit about how that felt to, sure. for this to be normal yeah so so i grew up in the san fernando valley uh i went to van nuys high the valley is a suburb uh and if you you know to orient it around Hollywood. So Hollywood, you see the Hollywood sign on a hill. Yeah. Those are the Hollywood Hills. If you go over the Hollywood Hills to the other side of where Hollywood isn't and you go into the suburbs, that's the, what we call the valley. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I'm from. And so uh, all the auditions and stuff that you go on are just a, a relatively quick trip over the hill into Hollywood. And right. uh, yeah, I mean, when, when I... When I got started doing it, I, it was a pretty normal, uh, a normal beginning in that I was in a kids' choir, pretty much similar to any kids' choir we did, and then we started doing like musicals. Yeah, same teacher taught musicals, but it was I think like pretty much anybody else would do kind of community theater in any suburb in this country. Anywhere, like, yeah, um, but because it was a suburb right over the hill from Hollywood, some of the kids People that were in those musicals. Around. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, uh, Alexander and Sebastian, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> were these two other, you know, boys. When I'm talking, we're probably, I don't know, five years old or six years old in this See, picture. These don't sound like mm -hmm. Holly or Ohio boys. These do sound like Hollywood boys. Because they're named Alexander, Alexander and Sebastian. Sebastian. Oh, yeah, really? I don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least in that era. Now people are more adventurous with their names. But, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Sure. Yeah, nowadays it would be what? Uh, Aiden and... Uh, Jaden. And Jaden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Aiden yeah, yeah. and <laughs> Bryson. That's right. Um, sorry no if anybody's named that. Anybody. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but they, they did, they, they did auditions and were in commercials and shows and stuff. And so they had a, like a kid's manager who came to our production of maybe Grease or, right, you know, yeah. whatever it was and asked Were you my, like a kid, Danny Zuko? I, uh, in Greece, I think I didn't get a big part in All Greece. Right. I was a kid, Nathan Detroit though. Okay. And I was a kid, Peter Pan <laughs> yeah. you know, in with, with Miss Karen, Miss Karen, who oh. taught choir and, and taught, who's a wonderful and inspiring teacher. Ms. Yeah. I love Miss Karen. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so she asked, uh, that this manager asked my mom if I wanted to go on some auditions. My mom asked me. And my my mom um, and my dad were never anything but supportive. Yeah, they were never pressuring at all. They were encouraging to the point where they encouraged me to do anything that I liked doing. They were also really encouraging that I do gymnastics and you know play flag football. But uh, they could see I really liked doing this, and you know, I think we were just in the fortunate enough position that. Uh, luckily my mom didn't have to work. My dad, you know, earned enough money yeah. so that my mom didn't have to work so she could drive me to auditions. So that's a piece of luck. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this is just good luck. Right. I think, you know, if you're going to talk about success in, in a, the professional or the commercial sense of the word success, yeah. so much of it is luck. Mm -hmm. And anybody that says it's not, I think is, uh, I'm not saying it's 100% luck, sure, but I think luck is a huge component. Yeah, that, uh, right place, right time, all those factors. When it comes to commercial success, yeah. if there's other, I think, 
other ways to think about success when it comes to being creative. Sure. Uh, and that's, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, we but, will. Yeah. But yeah, when it comes to commercial success, a lot of it's luck. I happened to be you know, born and raised in a suburb of Los Angeles where the auditions were just over the hill. I happened to, uh, you know, grow up in a family where my mom could drive Support, me to yeah, auditions of all that. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, those are, you know, those are Huge. good bits of luck. Yeah. But I just had to push back a little bit. Give yourself some credit. How many people, uh, were child actors and then were not able to reinvent themselves the way that you did. And yeah. <laughs> sure, I mean, there's something you. there. Yeah, that's not completely luck. I appreciate it. You obviously I appreciate had some network and stuff, but ultimately that's, that's huge. Uh, so why did you, so you, you're making these movies, you're on TV, you're doing all that stuff. And it's pretty well known that you took a break <laughs> from Hollywood. You left that ordinary and went to the extraordinary of, being a normal college student, mm-hmm. what were you wanting to achieve by doing that? Kind of just what you said. I think I just wanted to be a normal uh, college student. Uh, yeah. I had I had my whole life uh, uh, had this thing that differentiated me from uh, other kids my age. And on the one hand, I was very happy to have that differentiation I loved getting to act but there were certainly plenty of moments throughout where I was like oh I didn't get to do this or I didn't make it to that like you know I mentioned flag football a second ago when I was nine I was on a team the Bengals we were great and we went all the way to the championship game and most of the games were on the weekend yeah but the championship game was on a Tuesday night, and it just so happened that the show I was working on at the time, which was called Dark Shadows, right. it was a, like a vampire show in the early 90s, Yeah, uh, and I was 10 yeah. and, uh, or 9, and uh, the championship game was on a Tuesday night, and we just so happened to be doing a night shoot, and I was there on set looking at the clock, being like, maybe we'll get done. Yeah. Oh, the game's starting. Well, maybe we'll get done in time. You know, I had my uniform and my cleats oh my in the God. car so I could go straight from work to You're the game. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> well, so, but yeah, so I mean, I don't mean so to So did say, you make it? You no, oh no. They won without me, which oh is no. even worse. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, like, uh, it's not to say, like, oh, woe is me. Sure. It's fucking awesome that you I got on that I got to be yeah. like working on Dark Shadows. I'm just saying that I I was to your point. What what was I looking for? Moving away. I was looking for just like a normal, a more more normal experience. And I also wanted to know like, okay, I, I don't I don't want to have decided my life's calling at age six and never question it again. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to see like maybe. I'll want to do something entirely else. I maybe I'll want to end up becoming a, I don't know, a lawyer or a scientist or a yeah. s- just something totally else. Um, but within, you know, my, my freshman year of college was the longest break I'd ever taken right. uh, away from working. Yeah. And just those nine months, I was already itching to, I was like dressing up in costumes and like going out and, you know, being at restaurants, like doing voices and like stuff that I actually don't do nowadays because I think I'm scratching that itch. You have an outlet for all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And uh, it, it wasn't long before I was wanting to get back. How did you, what did you start doing? What, what did it look like to, you know, I know you discovered editing mm-hmm. and it was more simple and with the computer and what did you start just tinkering on stuff? Did you start making calls to your agent saying, I'd like to audition again? Like what were the, what did that look like? Yeah, well, um, there, w- there was, uh, I wanted to start acting again. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't want to do another, um, television comedy and I didn't really want to do like teen romantic, uh, comedies either. Uh, and most of the agents didn't have any, uh, belief that I would be able to do anything else. Yeah. And there was one agent um, named Warren Zavala who was at first an assistant of another agent of mine and he got his desk, as they say, that he became an agent. Yeah. And called me. He was like, I think 
I think you're great. And I think if you want to do this other stuff, then you should do it and let me send you scripts and things. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, well, no, I told myself I was going to like go to college and not do that. And he was like, well, let me just send you stuff anyway. Yeah. And he's still my agent and he's, oh, really? and he's, uh, that's, you know, those phone calls happened in what, I guess like 2000, 2001. Uh, and, um, and he's, uh, he's really risen and built an, an amazing career for himself and works with all kinds of amazing, talented artists. Um, but, uh, but I really am, am eternally grateful to him, and we have a, a wonderful working relationship that I think you know, is rare, honestly, from yeah. what I've seen of how, how people oftentimes relate to their agents. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So what? How, so how did? Because I know you didn't finish college, correct? That sounds like I was your mom or something. <laughs> I know you didn't. And you, I know. Where's the degree? <laughs> Show us it. Um, but I know you didn't. What? So why? Because you had set your target. You're like, I'm gonna finish this thing. He's sending you roles. You're like, I'm not sure about it. What's yeah. the? In here, I'll just give you a little uh, preface or whatever. Mm-hmm. It seems like in this season of time, there was some kind of magic that you found that you've carried on through your creativity that you've embedded into hit record. There's something going on in that season when you start editing and just hitting record, that kind of thing that you, you found some elixir that you're still however long later trying to get to people. Yeah. And I'm just trying to like, I, it's, I, I want to, what is it that started scratching that itch or got you, to be like, all right, I'm out of college. I gotta go back and do this thing. Yeah, does that sure. make sense? Yeah, that's, okay. I, I love how you asked that. Uh, well, I would say that the the story continues to say that even though Warren sent me scripts, no one cast me in anything. Right. Okay. And so it came so you out. Wanted of, to do some of them. I yeah yeah oh yeah, uh, and I was really trying to get all kinds of jobs, and no one would give me a job yeah. acting. Yep. And I think that was very painful. And I imagine folks listening to, to this have, have experienced this. If, you know, the title of this podcast is creative pep talk. This is probably addressing exactly this feeling. These are the people listening. Yeah. That that this is, I was feeling, uh, this incredible desire to be creative, to express myself. And yet I was not being given the opportunity to do so and getting permission you weren't getting exactly yeah and when when you're when your mode of expression is acting then you're kind of reliant you're the last link in the chain yeah not unlike illustrators they're waiting on emails to be like okay we have the product we have the campaign the Mm -hmm. last person they hire is the illustrator oh there you go sat around i make all that comparison to acting and actors that go on to write and stuff to you know get out of that position or whatever but yeah, That's interesting. Totally I never thought that. of illustration yes. that way. I didn't actually know that. If you're doing it for clients as your main source of income and yeah. you're not making stuff for people and you're not uh, doing your own self-initiated stuff. And yeah. a, big, a big theme on this project on this podcast is self-initiated projects. Yes. I, I call them side quests. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's exactly. If you're a hired gun. Yeah, because that's yes, if you're an actor exactly. for hire, you're yeah. a hired gun, and you're right. You're the last one. the 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 team has been putting together a movie for probably years, yeah. And then about two months before they roll camera, they hire you, the actor. So you're waiting. And yeah, you're just you're waiting, waiting on them. them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that became untenable because mm. no one was casting me, and I had this urge bubbling up, and I had to do something else. And uh, yeah, that's where I started saying to myself this this kind of mantra or this battle cry of yeah. hit record yeah um and the the red record button that that circle became a symbol for me of i'm gonna push the button i'm yes. not gonna be just the hired gun actor that's waiting for someone else to point the camera at me and hit the button i'm gonna hit the button yeah and metaphorically so whether that means you know, recording audio and making a song or whether that means just writing a story or, uh, or making little short films and editing them, editing them together or anything. I just had to start making stuff myself. And, uh, yeah. And luckily I was able, and that goes back again to luck. Yeah. I had, you know, I had spent a bunch of my childhood working, so I had saved money Sure, and I could afford to 
do that to like spend time at my house and teach myself how to edit. Yes. That's, that's another piece of good luck. Sure. That's, you know, that's uh, worth acknowledging. 100%. I, yeah. I totally agree with that. Luck and also luckily the democratization of all these tools has not completely played out, but it's a lot easier to make something now than it was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you couldn't make a film. You couldn't make a, any of that stuff. So that's just you a, have a media company in your pocket. That's, you know? that's yeah. it. Well, and that, that was the nail in the coffin for college was I got from my 21st birthday. I gave myself a, a copy of final cut pro and it was right. the first time I'd ever had editing software. And yes. I'd grown up making little videos on, you know, high eight cassettes and mm-hmm. things like that with my friends. But editing them was always, if not impossible, very, very difficult. Yeah. And uh, this is the first time that I had good editing tools just at my disposal. Yeah. And I was hooked. I just would stay up all night making things. And it was so, so, so fun. And at that point, I was like, okay, I can... I can spend my time writing this paper for class or I can keep editing. Yeah. And that's when I dropped out of college. I'm super, uh, I have some theories, but, uh, I'm super curious why editing is such a spark for you. Like if you had a, a sensitivity to that, well, you know, I, I liken, I like the idea of like, you ever heard someone say like, you can't write and edit at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you separate that, yeah. And I imagine if you don't have the ability to edit, you know, making your own videos or whatever, even creatively, is like a lot because you're like, we got to get it in one take, and it's yeah. got to be perfect or whatever. Yeah, the editing is when it turns into a movie. Yeah. Before that, you're shooting moments. Yeah. And you're gathering footage, and the moments can be amazing as they happen. That's why. The domain of actors is really the theater. Mm-hmm. The domain of of film is uh, a, uh, film is not the actor's domain. Yeah, and I'd been a you know a film actor my whole life, whether film or TV, same thing. And it's the director's media. It's the director's right? media. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the director's arguably their biggest tool is the is the editing. Yeah, and. Uh, and yeah, so getting to take stuff, take these moments that, that I would capture. And I, the stuff that I was editing, almost none of it was like films in the conventional sense. It's not like I was writing scripts and getting together casts or crews or anything. I was just like carrying a camera around with me and shooting stuff. But, but just the chance to then edit it together and decide on the timing and then how the music was going to play. And it was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the medium of cinema or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I, I think it was sort of like a lot of pent up of always participating in part of that process, but then never getting to really uh, express myself in where it all actually comes together yeah. into the piece of work or art that gets presented to an audience. And so finally getting to do that was hugely satisfying. Yes. And whenever, you know, I think a lot about one thing we talk about on the podcast all the time is like, what are you wanting to produce in your audience? What do you, you know, what feelings do you want them to feel? What, and a lot of that happens with the, you know, the perfection of all these layers coming together. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So how does that relate to, does that relate directly to how hit record comes, comes along? Yeah. Okay. How does that happen? You're as far as I know, you're starting to load up some of this stuff online and it's basically housed at hit record. Yeah. I mean, and before we even started a website called hit record, like I said, it was just this little turn of phrase that I would say to myself for motivation or in, in, in my moments where I'd be like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah, I can't this, or I'm not that. It was like, just be quiet and hit record and yeah, I'm going to do it. And then, yeah. So I started making things and I wanted to put them, up online somewhere and this was a this was in the mid 2000s 2005 was the very 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 first version of hitrecord.org this website that my brother Dan helped me set up and it was you know I didn't hear about YouTube till 2006 uh and it was it was just a little bit before it became super normal and easy to just post a bunch of stuff on these big platforms yeah and uh and my brother was a coder and he was like we'll start start your own website and so we did, and it was just very, very tiny. It was one page of HTML with some links to to the videos and things and songs and stories I was making, and uh, and it was that for a while. And it was 
it, it was, was your thing, really. At the start, it was just your yeah, that's your right collection of stuff that between you're 2005 and 2007. It was just yeah, it was like here's me and the things that I'm making, yeah. and you might uh, know me because you might have seen me on in a movie or something. But here's like the stuff I'm making by myself. And then in 2007, we decided to put a message board on it, and it was actually a big harrowing decision even though it was still this tiny thing it was yeah. it wasn't about the size or the scope uh in terms of i don't know usership or whatever for me it was it was like this is my outlet this yeah. is this is my personal thing and do i want to let anybody come and post their comment or their file or whatever on my thing and at first I was like mm, I don't know if I want to do that the internet can be a really negative place yeah and then and it was my brother who was like why don't we just try it? it'll be easy we'll put this just prefabricated message board on there we can always take it down if we're not liking it it'll be fun it'll be interesting because uh, we used to hang out on old like BBS boards mm-hmm. um, this is this is a long time ago when, <laughs> when I was really young yeah. BBS for bulletin board system and this was back in like before before everything was a graphical user interface, but it was just, you know, text-based DOS. You're on like a 2400 dial-up modem dialing some local person who has a bunch of phone lines and you can like chat with other people yeah. and whatnot on, yeah. with text. And we used to do that. He, he was really into that. And of course, he's my big brother. So I was into what he was into. You're always educated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they teach you how to, what tastes to have and what, yeah, activities to do. Yeah. So this yeah. was our chance to kind of have our BBS. And, uh, and so we started it and, um, what started happening really surprised us because it wasn't negative. It was actually really sweet. People were being really cool and it was enormously fulfilling, like surprisingly. So I, I thought it was going to be like, a, I don't know, maybe sure. And it ended up being uh, a really meaningful thing for me, this little community that started to form. And, uh, and then the thing that we noticed that really surprised us was people weren't just talking about the little videos and songs and stories that I was making. People wanted to make things together. Mm-hmm. And we were like, now that's cool. And that's, that's also legitimately new. Yeah. Because you know, just watching a video on the internet is not really that different than what you can do with old technology. That's like watching TV. Sure. Uh, same with listening to a song. You could listen to a song on the internet. It's not that different from the old technology of radio, but using the internet to have people come together and make things together that they might not have been able to make on their own. That's a categorically different yeah. behavior enabled by this new technology. This couldn't have happened any other time in history. This is really cool. And so we, sort of leaned into trying to encourage that, that collaborative creativity on this little message board. Mm. And uh, like I said, my brother was a coder, so we started, like, I would design and he would code, and we would come up with them together, these little features to try to encourage people to collaborate more. And uh, we dedicated a lot of time to it, even though we weren't spending any money on it, we weren't intending to make any money on it, this was not a startup, this was not a company, this was just a fun thing that my brother and I were doing together. And it kept growing, and the collaborations kind of kept getting more and more interesting, and that's when I started talking with my friend Jared uh, about could this power a production company. So uh, in 2010, we launched it as a production company. And I know there's like a new iteration. I want to get to that too. Uh, But I have a curiosity because I think anybody that has kind of followed your career, even in a loose way, watched a lot of these, you know, this person who's in Brian Johnson movies and uh, Christopher Nolan movies and these crazy things. And I think everybody's question with that is, what's this energetic driver on hit record there's a missional thing of Mm -hmm. like there's something about uh something you got from it on a creative level even early on of just hit record you they're like a like i said like an elixir Mm -hmm. like there's something that you needed you got and then you saw other people getting it and then you've been on this mission for uh, i don't know how long a decade or whatever to get that to as many people as possible because there's some kind of switch that maybe happened in you and so i want to just camp out and like how did that 
early experience impact your creative career? I feel like I'm just going to address a slight elephant in the room. My show is a creative career podcast. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard you on a few podcasts chafe at the word career. Or, oh, and no, and I get. Yeah. These are, there's this very awkward relationship between creativity and career. Yeah. It's like a really awkward dance, hard thing to pull off. Um, but it seems like something that happened early days in hit record gave you something mm-hmm. uh, that impacted your journey as an artist. Yeah. What, do you know what it, is that true? Do you think that, there's there a correlation there? Yeah, I, I well, yeah, it's funny. First I wanna, you're <laughs> noticing something about me chafing at, at the word career and I, I don't even know if I quite noticed that about myself, but I think it's true and I'm, I'm just trying to think of why that right. is. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's probably some kind of old deep-seated hang up of mine from being young and uh, being self-conscious, like yeah. being 16 and none of my peers having careers yet and not wanting to identify with that word, probably. Yeah, that it, makes sense. It's feeling pretentious of me to... Weird or, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you don't fit in because you have that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's other... There's, there's other, I think there's, there's often a conflation depending on what you mean by the word career, Mm -hmm. uh, between creativity and, uh, and professional, this gets what I was talking about a second ago, kind of professional or commercial success with creativity, which I've been lucky to experience. And, um, and so I, I in no way um, mean to dismiss its value, but I also just don't think that that's the most fulfilling part of creativity for me. Sorry, the cops are coming. It doesn't matter. Go. Yeah. It's a very authentic <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That's uh, totally fine. But uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I feel like uh, there can be a... a and and maybe hit record is this, and maybe that's like the elixir you're talking about yeah. is is the um, the nourishing of the creative part of myself that's outside of my quote unquote career yes. professional career. Yeah, it seems like a to me the reason why I started talking to hit record about collaborating is because uh, you know back in earlier days of the internet, it was a safer spot to collaborate. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff was happening and. Um, you know, corporations moved in and they're, you know, now we're getting into issues of how they're using our stuff. And yeah. it just got, I think all the creative people got scared yeah. of putting their stuff up there, collaborating with other people. And there's, you know, and I think to me, what I liked about Hit Record is it's kind of a safe space to make stuff. And there's people in charge there that are trying to take care of the creative people's rights, make it safe, make it work. And I think in the same way, I have this, um, you ever heard like John Cleese talk about uh, the open and close mode? No. He has this huge thing on open versus closed mode uh-huh. in terms of the way that your brain functions. And the open mode is like very playful. Uh-huh. And the closed mode is like executive decisions, like productivity. Yeah. And they're really, you, they can't exist in the same space. I think they're actually, I'm no neuroscientist, but I think those are physically actually different parts of your brain. 100%. Yeah. Yes. And they're, and they're you know, it's a zone. Yeah. And so for me, hit record, you know, knowing th- ever, the way that you've always talked about it, what you guys have ensured to take care of creative people. Um, you know, I've been pushing my audience. You've got to figure out ways to collaborate both for creativity, both for career. You've got to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. it makes you better. Um, and there's not a lot of safe places to do that. And there's yeah. also not a lot of safe places that are um, just the open zone. Just mm-hmm. like where we're not, and, and, and the way he talks about it, sorry, I'm like going on a huge monologue. No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, but uh, this thing, I always talk about it like you can't, like Michael Jordan can't get in the zone mm-hmm. if he has to ref the game at the same time. Uh-huh. Like you can't, you can't, if you're thinking the whole time of, is this going to make money? Yeah. Is this good? Uh, yeah. Is any, you know what I mean? Sure. And to me, hit record, it seems like that you found that zone mm-hmm. of like, I'm just going to make stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you want to get it to people. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's, that's why when you're an actor, you need a director. 
because mm-hmm. uh, you can't be thinking about whether that was a good take. Exactly. You just have to be doing it, and you just have to believe this is a great take. Every yeah. take is great. You can't you can't be looking at yourself that way. You have to trust someone else to look at yourself that way. And um, and yeah, I do think that that's a that's a big part of the value of of collaboration for anybody creative uh, is the chance to get into the what you're calling an open mode, get into yeah. that flow state where you're just you're not editing. You're just, you're just the improv flowing through. Don't it. think. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's oftentimes difficult for, uh, you yourself to have the perspective to then take what's valuable about that kind of brain dump and edit it into something that, that will be relatable to other people, uh, other yeah. audiences and, uh, and collaboration is, key for that and and yeah you're right uh you know platforms like a lot of the media tech platforms nowadays uh they're not built for collaboration um because that's that's not that's not how they make money um they make money just by getting as much attention as possible and what seems to be getting the most attention is just people kind of posting about themselves yeah and doing it themselves and um there isn't uh I mean, of course, you can find everything on YouTube. You can sure. find everything yeah, on yeah. Instagram. They're, they're so big. Yeah. There's tons of great stuff, and sure. there's tons of people collaborating. But they don't actually collaborate using YouTube. They maybe no. find each other on YouTube, and then they go off and figure out a way to collaborate. YouTube has nothing to do with it until they are finished with their collaboration and it's time to post it. We're trying to build a platform now uh, that's all about that collaborative process where you can come here and find someone to collaborate with and communicate with them and set up your project and see what the steps are and recruit the different people that you need and get it finished. And, and then yes, the final step being, yeah, then celebrate it once it's done. Um, but what about all the, actually the, the best part, the juiciest, most joyful part in my experience is all the stuff that comes before it's done when you're, when you're doing it. And uh, and that's that's the the ecosystem we're we're building now is a is a place that that really puts the emphasis there. It sounds like all that you have so much passion about it, which I freaking love. <laughs> but the uh, that thing of learning, I don't need someone's permission. I don't have to wait for someone to call me and say yes. Yeah, I can just start making, and actually, that's what releases that itch mm-hmm. the doing of it. And yeah. you learn that with Hit Record, and now you've spent all this time and energy trying to get that experience and that truth to as many creative people. And so you had the turn into the forum, turn mm-hmm. to the production company, and now it's a new iteration to push it to even more people uh, to have that experience. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So as the, the production company that we launched in 2010 was a great way for us to make all kinds of art with this collaborative process. And you know, we've published books, we've put out records, we've Emmy-winning uh, TV yeah, we show. Yeah, we made a TV show that won an Emmy. Thank you. Um, yeah, and uh, and we've always, whenever one of these productions makes money, we pay people. Uh, we're we're just about to this next payment we're about to issue. We'll we'll cross three million bucks that we're um, that we've paid to people since 2010. Yeah, um, and we're really proud of everything we've all been able to do as as a production company. The limit is when we're the ones always leading the projects, only so many people are able to get involved. Yeah. And there's been, uh, we've over the years tried to say like, hey, we don't have to be always the ones leading the projects, but we never really built a user experience that was good enough to let lots of people and sort of like intuitive enough to let lots of people in an organized fashion start their own projects, find collaborators and finish things on their own. Yeah. So that's, that's what we want to build now. And, uh, the, the big change is, so we just getting into the business of it for a second. Cause I, yeah. I do think that that's, uh, it's important. I, I, I uh, this is maybe a tangent, but, uh, hey, they, I have ADD. I don't okay. know. So my audience is well, yeah, really so, enjoys the tangents. So here's a tangent yeah. that I think is worth talking about in terms of a creative pep talk. I, I think when I was younger, I took the the position, probably pretty normal position, that art and business 
are separate and a, a real artist ignores business yeah. and a real artist just leaves that to like the suits or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I'll, I'll be over here doing my art and you, you suits over there, you do your thing. And the more, um, the more I've experienced, the more I've realized that that's, uh, I, I think that was a naive way for me to see creativity that, I've mentioned a couple times some of the practical matters that that uh, that made a huge impact on my ability to be creative. Where I grew up, the fact that uh, my dad earned enough money such that my mom had the time to drive me drive me to auditions. Like mm. these are the same practical matters that make up a business. Yeah, that allow for you know there is no you can't you can't do your painting if you don't have paper and the paint and yeah. it's just like how it a is house a roof yeah. over your a house to live in and yeah. food to eat yeah. over here yeah a hundred percent so uh and and that you know that's the simple way of putting it but it it actually just gets more and more complicated the, the more i've been involved in like when i directed a movie i directed a movie called don john once you start yeah. directing and not just acting i learned like Man, there's just so much overlap between the the logistical part of of figuring out. Okay, we have this budget. We we need to make the movie look like this. We what are our options? Like we can't do this. We can't do this. And oftentimes, actually, sometimes those those logistical realities will impose limits that then inspire new creative ideas that become some of your favorite parts of the thing, you know? So yes, 100%. Actually, when I was first starting out, I'd mentioned to you earlier that, uh, like a year into my career, it was like right at the recession, all my jobs dried up. And, uh, you know, I always say that's when I hit rock bottom and some people hit rock bottom and turn to terrible things. My mm -hmm. terrible things were business books and, <laughs> and, and business magazines. Uh -huh. And I would read them and I was doing it like thinking. So you're I'm, calling it terrible because yes. like we as artists are sort of raised to think that business books are like bad. The evil. And, yeah. yeah. This, yeah. I, I call it toxic creative mythology. It's <laughs> like we're given these ideas about, you know, I feel like a sellout. Nobody. Yeah. A sellout. To put exactly. out a different cover on this book, yeah. ja a different jacket. <laughs> and I'm reading these books and the thing that blew my mind as I'm reading the magazines and books is the people that they're the, the like unicorns of business, the people that have done these crazy things are the people I relate to most in mm -hmm. like, I'm like, those are just creative people yeah. just doing creative yeah. things. Like, yeah. you know, I think Steve jobs is an excellent example of that. Yeah. And there's an infinite list of all these, um, they're treating business as a creative endeavor. Yeah. And even you talking about the how you use the budget, the mm -hmm. choices that you're making on yep. an intuitive level, uh, I find a lot of creative satisfaction after I made the leap. Yep. Uh, and I think, and the other thing about that is when we leave uh, all the, I don't think there's anything inherently evil about people that are predisposed to business, mm -hmm. but if you leave it all to them, you get systems like we've had, which is yes. they control all the power yeah. and they're on, they're making all of the, the money and all that. And so yeah. I'm and not they've designed a business model that inadvertently, when I say they, I mean, you know, the, they, yeah, yeah like, but I mean, I guess we can also be specific. There's a, cause there's a right. couple giants. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and I, but they've designed a business model that really isn't conducive to the creative process. And it is very conducive to making money. 100% and making them money, exactly. not necessarily making, you know, yeah. I, I'm kind of getting on my soapbox, but that, and that's that whole thing of, uh, open versus closed. Like, uh, open is creative and it's actually play and play inherently is not about productivity. Mm -hmm. Like you can't play and we're like, we're going to have a half an hour play session and get some stuff done. Yeah. That's instantly not fun. Uh -huh. Right. That's not play. That's interesting. I don't know. I would push you back on that a little bit. Like just, I'm um, exploring this, but you know, you, please you do play a sport. Yeah. For example, you play a game of basketball and part of what makes it fun is there's a clock winning and yeah. Yeah. Totally true. Mm -hmm. I, we can camp out there, too. <laughs> but I totally, uh, I think there's like hacking your brain. John Cleese, his thing was he would do uh, Monty Python. He would write and he would say, I'm going to write for three hours. Yeah. And the only thing that I have, the only thing I have to be productive in is that I enjoyed being in that room mm -hmm. writing. I love that. And so yeah. it's a weird, it, but if a creative's in charge, mm -hmm. they can set 
the boundaries and the constraints to maximize creativity, not just dividends for the people in charge. So that's exactly what I'm trying to do now. And I and, and a, an office full of people here are yeah. trying to do is build, uh, build a new sort of rule set, build uh, a new ecosystem, a platform with a, a, a different set of incentives um, that is focused around that creative process uh, and to evolve from the production company business model to uh, you know uh, something that's more encouraging of not just us leading the productions, but anybody to be able to come and do this and start their own project or find a project to get involved with and have that creative experience by collaborating with other people in a, in a more limitless way. Cause again, the limit before was when we're leading the projects, there's only so many people that can yeah. get involved. So it's in just more people are getting this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what that meant was building new and better technology. We only ever had a very limited team of engineers. We had pretty much nobody at, I shouldn't say pretty much nobody. It was our, our third co-founder, Mark, was designing all of the website Sorry, and, and app. But w- the reason I say nobody is because his background isn't in product design. Right. Yeah. His background is in graphic design and architecture. Um, so we didn't have uh, any any more trained and experienced product design people. Like, so, yeah, UX, on, UI, yeah, that yeah. stuff. Like all Because there's a, there's a real art and science to it, just like there's an art and a science to making movies. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't you know, necessarily uh, expect that someone with an adjacent skill set would be able to come and be the director of photography on a big movie. Right. They, they might have, you know, Mark did a really great job by himself. He really, really did. But now that he's leading a team of product and UX and UI yeah. people, he's so much happier. And yeah. He's like, I love, I, the, the quote he said I loved the other day, he was like, it feels like I have a superpower now. Yeah, and that's amazing. So it's it's been awesome to be able to, assemble a bigger team and and getting back to the business what that meant was raising money yeah and so we went and did the whole thing we we went up to silicon valley we didn't want to raise money from hollywood even though that probably would have been easier because that's where my connections are but we wanted to go to silicon valley because we knew that it was the technology we really needed help with yeah and we pitched silicon valley investors we found a really great syndicate of investors um and uh and now we've been able to hire more engineers and more product people, and we're we're now building the tools that I think are going to empower the community to do what we've kind of always wanted to do, but do it much better and do it in a much more accessible way so more people can get involved more easily. And it's a really, really exciting time right now. Yeah, it is incredible. And I'm so thrilled to bring our audience on board to do a collaboration. It's kind of honestly what I've been looking for. I've been for the pa- I've been doing the podcast for five years. I'm always harping on about, I don't know how you're going to find the collaborators, but <laughs> just, you got to do it. I know that. Uh, and so I was so pumped to see this new iteration and, uh, we're doing a project. We don't have to go in all the details of it, but one part of it is, uh, what we're going to do advice. You wish you would have told your younger self, best advice you have to give anybody now. And then my favorite is what future you for maybe five years from the future, what do you think they would come back and tell you today? Uh-huh. So that's my question to you to wrap it all up. What do you think Joe five years from now is going to come back and say to you right here? Oh man, five years from now, I think five years from now, what I hope the, my five year from now self comes back to me and says is, Hey, dude, it all worked out. It didn't work out the way you thought it was going to, but it all worked out. And it all worked out. So you could have just enjoyed it the whole time. You didn't have to spend all that time anxious and eating your fingernails and yeah. hating yourself. Because, yes. look, I spend some time that way. I, I wish I didn't. And it's, you know, I think every human being fluctuates back and forth between Absolutely. those moments of joy and those moments of um, oh, cringeworthy yeah. self-hatred. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would hope that, yeah, my, my five year from now self would come back and be like, just those are pointless. You don't need to. It's good. You're going to get to where you're going to get. And it, and you got there. You did. And like I said, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And that's fine. You can't see the future. But it's like, 
and maybe even something tragic happens. And, you know, I've lived through some tragedy, too. And uh, that's terrible, but it's part of it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with feeling pain, especially in the face of tragedy. But if it's not a tragedy, if it's just like you getting anxious about whatever... It's not tragic. It's just like, oh, I'm, you know. Are I, we going to hit the number? Yeah, are we going to hit the number? Am I, like, is my, does my thing suck? Or like, yeah. that's, not, that's not a tragedy. And you don't, you don't need to generate that pain for yourself. Why not relax and, and just like do what, what you were saying? That, that, uh, who was it that Cleese said like, Please. hey, I, my mandate to myself is I'm going to enjoy myself while I'm doing this. That that's the most important thing. I, I think that's... That's something I would I would hope that my five year from now self comes back would come back and tell me. That's that is so great, and I'm glad that you didn't say that your future self would come back as Bruce Willis and try to kill you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's better. That's a better message that you Chris, had. Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I had, to, I had to do it. I couldn't help it. I saw the opportunity. Well, thank, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was so, this was a dream come true, honestly. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so much for being on the show. Uh, if you didn't get it, that last <laughs> silly part was a reference to the movie Looper, Ryan Johnson's movie with Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You should definitely go check it out. It's super, super good, and it's about time travel. Uh, go, you know, I didn't want to front load this episode with too much blabber, but uh, I figured I'll end it with a little bit more. Uh, uh, man, this was such a sweet moment for me creatively to get a chance to interview one of my creative heroes, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's work. I keep almost calling him Joe because that's what everybody at Hit Record calls him. <laughs> I don't. It feels disrespectful somehow. So uh, I'll just keep saying it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, he, he had a huge impact on me creatively right when I was getting creative right when I started getting into this creative career path was right when he was doing these indie films like Manic and Brick and they really inspired uh, a deeper artistry in me and so it's incredible to have him on the show and be a part of the creative pep talk history and to do this collaboration with this company, you know, I try to give so much. I try to give as much as I possibly can uh, to you guys every single week. And I try not to ask very much of you, but I am asking you to please help me celebrate our five years and, and uh, five million downloads by going to hitrecord.org slash creative pep talk and answer one of these challenges. Some of these challenges are super easy. You can do them right then and there. Some of them take a little bit more time and energy, but come collaborate with me. Come collaborate with Joe. You heard his answer to what his future self might give him advice on. Um, love to hear yours. So you can submit that writing or recorded. And what a freaking treat to talk to the guy behind the Fraggle Rock movie that's slated to come out. Man, oh, this was a freaking dream for me. Uh, in the next couple weeks, we're going to keep hitting you with phases of this collaboration. And in about four to five weeks, we're going to launch the community-created episode where I'm going to give you my advice from the to the past and from the future and uh, some all, all kinds of great stuff. So stay tuned for that stuff. We're going to do some episodes on collaboration in the meantime. Just a quick heads up, the episode that we make collaboratively that will air in a few weeks will have no sponsors, so we won't be making money on that just to make it clean as a collaboration with all of you. So we're going to forego sponsorship on that episode. Also, if this is the first episode of Creative Pep Talk that you've ever heard and you like what you heard and you don't know where else to get started, check out episode 202, 202. It's called For When You Feel Like Giving Up. That's a good one if you're frustrated in your creative career. Episode 229 is probably my favorite episode. It's about this theory on taste. It's called The Six-Step Process to Unlocking Powerful Creative Business Momentum. And... And talking about self-initiated work, like the stuff that 
Joe was doing with Hit Record, episodes 192 to 196 is my side quest series for doing self-initiated work that gets results for you. Go check those episodes out. Again, thanks to the Hit Record team, Vivian and Matt, for making this possible. And thanks to uh, uh, Joe for taking the time out of his super busy schedule to record this conversation with a silly man such as myself. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thank you, massive freaking thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering. Thanks to all of you who have made these past five years just extremely special to me. And I'm so excited to work with you on a on quite possibly the most special episode to date. So don't forget to check that out. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.